Welcome to Solo Cleaning School. Are you ready to reshape your mindset and grow your solo cleaning business? Step into today's class with your guide, Ken Carfagno, so you can win for your family. Welcome to Solo Cleaning School. I'm excited to bring you part five of goal setting. Yes, I have called an audible. But before we go into part five of goal setting, I'm going to bring you a story that you could call a couple of different things. Mystery smell. I called it deer carcass. Nasty, but nasty. Have you ever walked into a house and immediately the mystery smell hits your olfactory nerve like a cold water to your face? I have. I was cleaning with my buddy Tyrone, one of my early employees. We were in a season where the work didn't really stop. For example, we'd wrap up Friday afternoon after five grueling days and the phone would ring. Inevitably, the weekend would have to wait another four hours as I could not say no. You ever been there? So new in business and green in front of you, not grass, money, cold hard cash. You could not turn it down. While I was there the first couple years, I said yes to everything. And Tyrone, who's with me, also said yes. And he says, wherever you're going, I'm going. Let's make some money. Awesome. So this was the climate when we had walked into an empty apartment in Albany, New York for a turnover cleaning. In other words, we had to get the place ready for a new tenant. Now, it was a property management company that we were doing this work for. Now, these weren't upscale apartments. And therefore, the people that lived in them prior were not necessarily engineers, lawyers, and doctors. Nothing wrong with regular folk. I am one, right? But these particular People did not leave the place in good condition. So we're cleaning and cleaning. And there's this smell, lingering smell. Like, what is that smell? It's not good at all. It borders on nasty, but it just must be the apartment's dirty. I said, Tyrone, what is that smell? He had no idea. I had no idea. Seems to be in the ventilation, maybe. Surrounding us, through us, like the Matrix. We both kind of thought it could be a dead mouse trap somewhere because I've seen that in my basement. You find a dead mouse in the rafters or way in the corner and it does leave a smell. So maybe it could be a dead mouse. I mean, but we still have to clean. So what? And then, ah, oh my God, what is it? What is it? I came running to the kitchen to a white faced Tyrone. He was cupping his mouth and holding his nose. The smell was like a wave that nearly knocked me over. Now, I have been cleaning and shared the story of the tortoise and the hare and coming into a bathroom with a cat playing with a rabbit head. And it was not funny, but maybe it's funny now. That was not a very good smell. This one made that look like an outdoor picnic. Seriously. There's Tyrone... Face white as a ghost, staring at the unplugged refrigerator in the middle of July. 99 degrees of heat and humidity inside this apartment. Windows closed, empty, vacant for months. And in the freezer was venison. 
deer meat. The previous person that lived there either was a hunter or was given some deer meat that was wrapped up, but it was absolutely nasty. It was red as can be. It was kind of gushing inside the freezer. Definitely not a sanitary work environment, to say the least. But when that door opened, it was like a blast of nastiness and waves just hit Tyrone's face and turned him into a ghost. And when I came in, my face went inside my shirt as fast as I could because that was absolutely nasty. Oh my goodness. So we spent the next hour extracting a deer carcass from the freezer. I suppose we could have called the property manager and said, this is out of our jurisdiction. We don't cover carcasses here at all. But I was still fairly new and I didn't know if it was my problem or not. Had there been Facebook groups for me back in 2007, I would have asked that question, but I did not have it. So I would definitely rank this as the nastiest smell I've ever smelled in my life. And that's only second to when my pet hamster Wink died of the chicken pox. That's another story from another time. It's not cleaning related, but in the fifth grade, my little hamster Wink, he was named that because he had one eye. Don't judge me. I didn't name him. He was given to me and he was already named Wink. He had a little Wink printed on the side of his bowl. Well, I got the chicken pox in the fifth grade and on day one, apparently he died. I didn't know it. And by day five, I was sleeping with my little face, my little 11, 10, 11 year old face underneath the covers because I couldn't stand the smell. I didn't know it was a dead animal in my room. But when I saw deer carcass and smelled deer carcass, I knew death smell and it's not good. So after the removal of the deer carcass, which was dripping on the floor as it went into the trash can, it just got worse and worse. I drenched the freezer in bleach and sat outside for a long time neutralizing the smell. Tyrone survived and even continued to work with me after that. No idea how or why, but the inside joke from that point on was always this. Uh, hey Ken, uh, did you check the freezer before you took the job? Okay, that was absolutely an awful story. And what in the world does that have to do with goal setting? Well, the title of this is called Kill Parkinson. And we're going to discover how we can kill Parkinson. And so I guess a funny story, a few of them actually, about death was fitting. They are stretches for sure. I just hope they're enjoyable because I want this podcast to be fun, entertaining, and educational. I want you to come on this journey with me. Solo cleaning is not about being alone all the time. You've got to have companions. And I'm hoping this podcast could be a companion to you. Okay, let's turn the page and go into goal setting five. Now, a quick recap. In goal setting one through four, we covered what is your why and why set goals. There were some things like What is your reason for getting up and doing what you're doing? The five whys exercise was a very effective way to kind of peel back the layers of your reasons to get to the core of what makes you tick. We're not robots. We're emotional creatures. We talked about the goal setting and why goal setting is important. That 83% of people don't set goals. 13% do set goals, but they don't write them down. And then 3% set goals and write them down. 
And it's stunning how much more they succeed over the non-written goal setters and the non-goal setters at all. But then there's the 1% club, those that have an accountability roadmap. They've got someone that they respect. Maybe they're competing with them, a mentor, or someone that they want to perform for. And they're being held accountable. They're their passenger in their accountability vehicle, and they're driving. And they're using SMART goals as a tool as well. SMART stands for specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound. So the first four lessons of goal setting are very helpful. I believe they're very good information. But we are human beings. We are emotional psychological beings we are driven by behavior our behavior our habits define who we are and many of us can gather amazing information but without proper behaviors the information will not absorb and won't take hold i want to share with you a story from mike michaelowitz's book profit first he talks about plate sizes and why people spend so much today and he relates it back to food and plate sizes did you know that only about 50 years ago the average plate size was nine inches in diameter and today 50 60 years later the average plate size is 13 inches in diameter that's a doubling of the total area plate area from 9 inches to 13 inches in diameter, represents double in area of the plate. Now, why is that important? Because here's the behavior of human beings. Whatever is on the plate will be consumed. Whatever is on the plate, it will be consumed. And so if you've got 9-inch plate, it's filled back in the 50s, you ate that plate. And if you wanted seconds, you would fill up more on another 9-inch plate. But today, with 13-inch plates and buffets and everything and food and extravagance, people are not eating 9-inch food plates. They're, they're not putting 9 inches of food on 13 inches of plates. They're filling them up and they're finishing them. Well, that's not your 5-year-old. He's not. He's not eating his string beans. I know that for sure. And your 7-year-old is not eating their spinach and other things that they don't like. But just play along with me here. Do you know that during the same time period that the average plate size went from 9 inches to 13 inches, the average American male's weight increased from 160 pounds to 190 pounds? Stop and digest that for just a minute. 160 to 190. The average American male gained 30 pounds over that half of a century because of plate sizes. Now, are there other human behaviors and characteristics and things that were also a part of why that happened? Of course, but you can absolutely link it here too as well to the plate sizes. But why does this happen? And Mike goes on to say humans consume everything they're given. It's behavior, human behavior. They also use every available amount of time to finish a project and every dollar to fill their budgets. This is why Americans don't have extra savings on hand or spare time or uneaten calories. There is never an abundance 
There is never leftover, there is never margin, there is never buffer, and there is a name for this. It's called Parkinson's Law. And here's what Parkinson's Law states. Work expands so as to fill the time available for its completion. I'll say that again. Parkinson's Law states that work expands so as to fill the time available for its completion. You are given a task and you're given two hours, you will take two hours. You won't take one hour and 40 minutes, you'll take two. If it's a one hour task, and you know it's a one hour task, you give yourself two hours, you will take two hours. If you have $100, and you only have $50 of things to spend on, you will spend $100. You will consume everything you have. Now, I'm not saying every single human being does this, but there's enough people that do it that this guy Parkinson had to have a lull about it. So here's what I say. We need to fight against this human behavior and win and learn how to kill Parkinson. Let's bring this into smart goal setting and how Parkinson's law applies. So if you get a smart goal, right, and you've got a T, time bound, of three months, you will either miss the goal or make it just in time, even if you could have done it faster. This is human behavior. I want to encourage you as you're setting these goals for yourself so that you can complete them in the beginning and get the wins. However, you need to get more aggressive as you progress. Right in the beginning, start off slower. A three-month goal is fine if you need it, or a one-month goal that's a small thing to accomplish. Build up momentum. I want to use an example. I interviewed my friend, Courtney Wisely of Rescue My Mate Service, on a Facebook Live to help her set a SMART goal. And she's very driven. She helps people fix their businesses. She stays up all night long. I don't know when she sleeps, but somehow she does. Anyway, she wanted to complete a technology course for her cleaning service owners to help them be more productive and automated. So I asked her a couple questions. This was around December, mid-December. And I said, do you think you could get this done, this technology course done by December, one year from now? Her answer was, well, heck yeah. Then I asked the second question. If she could have done it in one month, she said, well, heck no, I can't do that. Then I asked about June, which was six months away. Um, yes, I could. She wasn't as confident, but knew she could. Then I said April or four months away. She was very uncomfortable, but believed it was possible. I encouraged her at this point to set her SMART goal for April. Now here's the psychology behind this, and it looks at the A in SMART or attainable. I was pressing Courtney to her comfort zone, to where she started getting a little bit uncomfortable. I wanted to discover what she believed she could achieve in this particular task. And she basically told me that four months is the fast as she could see herself getting it done. So I said, well, Courtney, your SMART goal is going to be to complete this technology course by April. And she says, okay, I see what you did there. And I explained it to her. I said, here's why I do this, Courtney. We could have set this goal for the 2020 and it could have been your vision 2020 project and you would have completed it by April, right? Nope, you would not have. Here's what would have happened. Parkinson's Law would have came in and stole eight months. You would have taken the entire year because that's how long you gave yourself to do it. That's Parkinson's Law. So instead of wasting eight months 
and triggering opportunity cost of other things you could be doing during the eight months, like making more money, doing other courses, helping more people. I'm making you set your goal for four months. Now, if you miss that goal, you aim high and you miss it and you get it done in five or six months, you're still six months ahead. But we are going to kill Parkinson here and not allow you to set a 12-month goal for this particular task. It's going to be four. I told her this in front of other people that were listening and everyone's head was nodding and she says, okay, I see what you did there. It makes sense. Let's do this. And for all those listening out there, I want you to know Courtney is a very aggressive achiever. She, like I said before, she will get done everything on her list and she'll get it done fast. And so when she said four months, I believe her because it probably is eight months for a normal person and it might even be a year and a half for a normal person. But Courtney is super, super productive. And again, she doesn't sleep. So she has 24 hours. And we only have eight to nine. <laughs> so if you're not like Courtney, and I'm sure many of you are not, and you're not super aggressive and achieving and keeping track of your goals and knowing you could do something eight months faster. I still don't want you to do it in 12 months. Use this exercise to ask yourself the questions. What is the goal, the task that I want to have done? Put this in the SMART framework, specific, measurable, relevant, and then the A and the T, the attainable and the time bound. Let's set something that is attainable within a time that also kills Parkinson because if it's attainable in 12 months, is it attainable in three? Well, no. Is it attainable in nine? Yes. Is it attainable in six? No. Well, there you go. It tells you that nine ought to be your smart goal, nine months. Because if you set it for 10, 11, 12, you'll take 10, 11, and 12. Do you understand this concept? Excellent. Good. I am very happy that you are no longer going to procrastinate and you're going to allow your goals to take as long as you've set them forth to take. I also want to challenge you to do this with your money. Set a budget, okay? If you have $5,000 come in, would you please take some savings, pay off some debt, find a way, and only spend the part that you need? Stop overspending. It's running rampant. Debt is uncontrollable. And I don't want to get on the soapbox here, but just know that Parkinson's law is absolutely hurting people and hurting families with time and money, resources. Parkinson applies to all of it. So the reason I added this fifth part to what I considered already a very strong four-part series on goal setting, I wanted to show that it isn't just mechanical and do A, B, and C. I started this whole thing off with an emotional why and the five whys and why, 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 why. And then I went emotional to practical and logical and what you got to do and the steps to take. So I think it's fitting that this becomes five parts and it ends with something emotional because this is absolutely the way we are wired. Human behavior drives us. So the solution really is as simple as the problem. Let's go back to Mike Michalowicz's book, Profit First. He talks about those plate sizes. He doesn't say to change your behavior. He says the best way to do profit is to take it first before you spend the rest because you will spend the rest because that is your behavior. So Mike is not forcing us to work within new boundaries of new behaviors, new habits. Just take the habits we have and the behavior we have. We're going to use it all. We're going to spend it all. But take the profit out first. 
And I'm telling you the same, essentially, the same thing, is I want you to set your goal, your A in SMART goal, for a shorter time so that behavior, you will use up that time. Again, if you take longer, that's okay. But if you set that long time span of an extra five, six months, you will use it. So please, when you're setting a SMART goal, kill Parkinson. Please, kill Parkinson. And you'll achieve things faster. You will not spend all of your money. And those are two things that are going to benefit your life and your family in a big way. All right, that does wrap up the goal setting series. I really hope if you have a chance to pull these five audio recordings together and listen to them straight through or over the course of time or as a little mini course, I pray that these will really benefit you and add tremendous value to your life, to your solo cleaning company. I want you to take the information here, get yourself those goals, figure out what your why, your innermost why is, get an accountability partner, do the wheel and take some action for your future. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining me on the Solo Cleaning School. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Solo Cleaning School. Class is dismissed. <laughs>